Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this WealthTrack special webcast about personal finance. I am delighted to be joined by Jonathan Clements, who is a former colleague of mine at the Wall Street Journal, uh, is an award-winning personal finance journalist, author of, was the author of the Getting Going column for many years in the Wall Street Journal, which is where I knew him, but also he's also been a guest on WealthTrack over the years because he is a very current on personal finance topics and has a tremendous amount of common sense Um, about how we should uh, lead our financial lives. And especially uh, for today's, we're going to be talking about, you know, how to talk to your children about money and how to guide them as well to develop really good financial habits. And one of the reasons that Jonathan is is an expert on that is uh, among the several books that he's authored is uh, how to think about money uh, and Jonathan Clement's Money Guide and his Currently, he is the editor of HumbleDollar.com. It's a website devoted to personal finance, which is free. So HumbleDollar.com, I recommend definitely everyone checking it out. And his money guide uh, is available on that, which he updates regularly. And he is also the author of a book called How to Think About Money, which uh, I guess if if I were to give someone a, a guide on personal finance, we get that question all the time. How to Think About Money is a really good place to start. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to Jonathan about is how to think about money uh, with kids and money. And so, Jonathan, it's so great to have you here for our Wealth Track webcast. Well, it's wonderful to be with you again, Consuelo, and talking about one of my favorite topics, you know, how to raise money-savvy kids because it's super right. tough in today's environment. It is super tough, and 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 one of the things certainly when I was growing up is that you know, you never talked about money. It was a completely taboo subject, and one of your first pieces of advice is that parents should talk about money with their children um, from a pretty early age. So explain what your approach was with your children and what ours should be. Yeah, when we think about taboo topics, it used to be that people were reluctant to talk about money, they were reluctant to talk about sex, religion, or politics. But now, everything is out in the open except money. Nobody would ever tell you their net worth. They'll never tell you their salary. And I'm not advocating that you run around telling your neighbors this sort of information, but you should talk to your kids. If you want your kids to have some sense for how the financial world works and how to be smart about money, you should start with your own finances. You should tell your kids what you earn. You should tell them what you own and what you owe. You should show them the financial account statements when they arrive in the mail. You should show them your pay stub so they get some sense for you know what money looks like and talk about where it goes. I read a wonderful story of a guy who went and got his entire weekly income in dollar bills, put it on the dining room table in front of his kids, (laughs) and then proceeded to show where it all went. The kids were, of course, impressed by the size of the pile of dollar bills. By the time he divided it up between utilities, groceries, mortgage, savings, taxes, and so on, there was, of course, none left. 
and the kids got an important lesson in where money went. Your kids should also get that lesson. And one of the things that you also mentioned to me is that you should tell them about your own history. I've often thought of this, uh, you know, raising a, a child, is that, that they're seeing you probably, unless you have children very young, but if, if like many of us, have them when we're a bit older, you know, we, we are more established financially. We, you know, we have material possessions. We do go on trips. And so they think, gee, this is the way life is. And you're saying, uh, you know, that to tell them about your history and because it's important for them to put your current circumstances in context. Values are passed down through the generations in the stories that we tell. And one story you should tell your kids as what it was like starting your financial life in your 20s when you got that first paycheck, you're trying to cover the rent, maybe service student loans, pay credit card bills, and so on, and what a struggle it is because they will have that struggle, and that struggle is what's going to teach them important financial values. So you should prepare them for that struggle by telling them about how you coped in your 20s. And here's a big secret. It's okay to lie. If it was not that tough in your 20s, make it (laughs) sound tough so your kids will be prepared for rough times when they're in their 20s. And, you know, having a rough time in your 20s is okay. If you start life in first class, it's all going to be downhill from there. If you start out at the back of the plane and coach, when you finally get upgraded to first class, it's going to be a real pleasure. You want your kids to have the pleasure that comes with a gradually rising standard of living through their lives. Don't pamper them when they're in their 20s. Let them have those rough times so they learn about money and so they appreciate it when things get better. To set a good example, and so it, it really is, it's deeds, not words, or deeds speak louder than words. Actions do. That's so true, Consuelo. It doesn't matter what you tell your kids, you know, live beneath your means, you know, keep debt to a minimum, you know, never carry a credit card balance. You can tell them all those things, but, you know, if the phone is ringing, you know, every few hours from a credit collection agency, that's the lesson they're going to learn, not the lesson that you need to, <laughs> you know, not get into too much debt. It is so important to set a good financial example. And in fact, you know, what you may find is if you set out to teach your kids about money, you may find yourself improving your own financial behavior because you're going to want to set that good example. So for goodness sake, think about your own behavior before you start trying to teach your kids about money and make sure that your behavior aligns with what you want to teach them. Right. The the impression that, that you leave, what they see you do, is going to probably have a much greater impact on them than what you're actually telling them to do. And, and, and an, an, another point that you made, a recommendation, which I wish I had known much earlier on, is to make your children feel like they are spending their own money. And and I didn't know how one would do that. But tell me what your strategy was. So one of the reasons why kids seem to have unlimited desires, why they want this or they want that, is because there's no reason for them to cope their desires. When you're a kid, everything is bought for you by your parents. Everything is free, so there's no incentive 
to say, you know, I don't want this or I don't want that. The trick is to make your kids feel like they're spending their own money. I did this in a small way when they were younger. When we went to restaurants, we would play what I called the soda game, and I would give them a choice. They could either have a soda or they could drink water, and I'd give them a dollar. So suddenly they had a choice. If they had the soda, it was going to cost them a dollar. And so my kids ended up drinking a lot of water. When they got older, when my son was 10 and my daughter was 14, I took this a step further, and what I did was I set up bank accounts for them, and then every three months, I would put their pocket money in the bank account. Thereafter, if they wanted to spend money, they didn't ask me. Instead, they had to ask themselves and then troop down to the local ATM to get the cash out. By giving them that pocket money for a three-month period, making that money their own, not only did I put the onus on them, but also I forced them to budget because they had to make that three months of pocket money last the entire three months rather than waiting for you know next Saturday and getting weekly pocket money. How did it work out? Your children are now in their 20s. My kids um, are uh, quite frugal. They're careful with money. And if it was otherwise, I wouldn't tell you, Consuelo. <laughs> exactly. So this is, this is a technique. They were your guinea pigs, and it worked. Find ways to encourage kids to delay gratification. That's really probably the most important life skill, one of the most important life skills that you can, you can learn. Probably a lot of listeners have heard about the marshmallow test. The marshmallow test grew out of a series of experiments that were conducted at Stanford University by a, a psychology professor called Walter Michel in the 1960s. And the marshmallow test was this. The kids were placed in a room and they were given a choice. They could have one marshmallow now or if they waited 15 minutes and didn't eat the marshmallow, they could have two marshmallows. Now, of course, this is, a, this is a reward structure that strikes us in 2018. It's been rather quaint. Today, you know, you would have to say to the kid, either you can have one marshmallow now, or if you wait 15 minutes, we'll give you an iPad. <laughs> that would probably encourage them to delay gratification. Still, what they found among the kids in the 1960s who were able to delay gratification was these were kids who grew up to be more academically successful. They grew up to be more socially successful. They suffered less stress. They got better SATs. That ability to delay gratification is crucial. The ability to sort of control yourself, get the work done that is necessary to get done, and then have fun later, that's a super important life skill. And of course, it's very important when it comes to money. If you're going to be successful when it comes to managing money, the number one thing you need to have is the ability to delay gratification. You need to spend less today so that you can spend tomorrow. And if you have that skill, your entire financial life is going to be easy. If you don't have that skill, it's going to be an enormous struggle. And, of course, what's so interesting is with the marshmallow test, they they weren't training the children to delay or not to delay. It was whatever kind of their their innate quality was to figure out that they they would, would rather get two marshmallows in 15 minutes. But you're saying that you can train your children uh, to do that. Do you have any any tips on, on how to train someone who, uh, a, particularly a child who might be more impulsively inclined? Yes, whenever possible, you should try to encourage your kids to 
do the owner's thing first and get the reward later. And that can show up in a whole bunch of different ways. You can tell your kids, you know, if you practice piano now, you can go out and play later. You know, if you eat your main course now, you can have dessert later. You know, if you get in your pocket money and you want to buy something larger at a future date, let's take a third of that pocket money and put it in a jar. We'll do that for a month, and then you can go and you can buy a larger toy or you can buy that video game, whatever it is. But simply getting your kids to postpone pleasure will help them to learn to delay gratification. Mm-hmm. And another uh, which important kind of lesson that in, in your being transparent about what your financial situation is, which, as you said, you know, should start pretty early, uh, is to manage their expectations um, as to what they can expect from you so that they are not under any illusions that there is a, you know, a beneficent trust fund waiting for them. Um, or if there is, maybe you tell them about that. But um, so did, did, when do you have that conversation? And, and basically, you know, what do you tell your children uh, about what they can expect from you in in the way of financial aid. We all have you know different financial abilities. We have different incomes. We have different amounts of assets. So you need to think about you know what you can do for your kids without hurting your own financial future. And you know there are all kinds of possibilities. You know you might be in a position where you can help your kids to fund retirement accounts. You may be in a position where you can help your kids with down payment on a house. You know, you may be in a position to help them pay for an expensive wedding. But the number one goal that you're probably going to be thinking about helping them with is college costs. And so mm-hmm. when your kids are freshmen in high school, you should be talking to your kids about how much help you can provide with college costs. That will allow them to start thinking realistically about what sort of colleges they can go to. Is it going to be an in-state university? Is it going to be some ritzy private college? Should they be thinking about doing two years of community college first and then transferring to a four-year college where they're going to graduate from? This is a crucial conversation uh, you should be having. And if if you're not having that conversation, you could be setting yourself, your kids up for a terrible financial future. There are so many kids these days who are graduating with huge amounts of student loans who don't really realize the full financial impact of those loans, and they don't realize how much those loans are curbing their financial freedom until they're in the workforce and they realize how much they need to earn in order to service those loans. So for goodness sake, even if you can't help your kids financially, by writing big checks to pay for college, at least help them with your advice. Tell them how much you can help financially with college costs and then guide their choices so they don't come out of college with huge amounts of student loans that's going to cripple their financial future. Right. And that's just so important because, I, I mean, I just uh, you know read the statistics about children with these enormous loans, and it just it can just set you back for – you know, a decade or more. Um, it's and it really limits your choices of what you could do professionally. One of the uh, things that has really been of concern to me is, you know, I live in New York City, w- around tremendous affluence, um, with many of the schools uh, in our area, and so there are a lot of you know children who do grow up with with tremendous affluence, 
and you're saying that, that they have a really uh, hard time, you know, understanding deprivation. And, and you know, affluenza is a term, uh, a well-known term for a reason. So, uh, you know, how do you help your children who do grow up in affluence to to un- to understand um, that that they need to that w- working is really important to them that it sh- it needs to be important to them. You know, your kids grow up in an affluent sort of upper middle class household where you know it's pretty clear that there's plenty of money. It's really hard to instill financial ambition. I mean, you could try to deprive your kids. You know, you could tell them you're not going to help them at all. But that seems to be unnecessarily harsh. What, you know, you, your best you can hope for, and, I, and I, I don't want to demean this, but what you want to hope for is that they at least have some ambition. The thing that really scares me is the kids I see that come out of upper-middle-class households who have no ambition. You know, they drift out of college, and they travel the world, and, you know, they go somewhere and teach English, or they become a barista at the local coffee shop. And I don't I don't want to demean those jobs, but what I worry is that these kids are missing out on the great pleasure that comes with working it hard at something you're passionate about. So even if you can't instill financial ambition in your kids, you should try to instill some ambition, a desire to make your mark on the world. And the way you do that is to help your kids discover what they really care about. And it doesn't have to be something that's going to make them a whole lot of money, but if it's going to give them that pleasure that comes with working hard at something they're passionate about, that is a great gift. So the extent that you can help your kids discover what that passion is and push them to pursue it when they get out of college, you should do so. It's so important because that is the stuff of life. That is one of the crucial ingredients of a happy life is to work hard at something that you care a great deal about. And Jonathan, how do you do that? Because certainly when I think about uh, my childhood, I, I had you know, very highly motivated parents who loved what they were doing. Uh, and th- that really, for both my brother and me, that was, a, they were tr- terrific role models in that respect. But, you know, how, how do you, how do you instill that passion to, to ex- excel and achieve, and, and as, as you said, especially when it's been really easy, uh, when a lot of these uh, more affluent children, you know, have not really had to work hard to um, to acquire what they have and to go the places they're going and to get the education they have because, as you said, it's all but given to them. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you motivate them? Well, certainly the parental example is important. You know, if the parents, you know, themselves are trying hard to spend their days doing what they care about and the kids see that, that is an important example. Right. But, you know, what we know about you know, growing up and about the college years is, you know, this is a period of exploration. You know, I remember with, you know, my son, I mean, he was trying something new every year. You know, one year it was soccer, the next year it was karate, the next year it was Little League. You know, kids explore and explore until they find what really turns them on. You know, to the extent that you do have money, if you can help your kids to explore what they care about, whether it's theater or art or going to a science camp, whatever it is, you know, use your money to help them f- 
figure out what they really care about. And once the light bulb goes off, goes on, once they discover what they're passionate about, there'll be no stopping them because they'll 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 want to go for it themselves. They won't need you to push them at all. But it's finding that one thing that really turns them on. That is what you, as a parent, can do. And I was just going to say also that this is not just for your children, but it's for your grandchildren as well, or nieces and nephews, whatever. You can really um, apply these same lessons, uh, you know, to to any young uh, people that you come in contact with, and and really kind of set an example and and try to uh, instill them with these kind of values. And I have one more question for you, Jonathan, and that is, you know, I mentioned in my introduction to you that you're editor of HumbleDollar.com, which is a website devoted to personal finance. And why Humble Dollar? So as you know, uh, Consuelo, you know, when it comes to money, uh, I'm very much an advocate of a humble approach. And what do I mean by that? You know, I've been writing about this stuff for more than three decades. I've met thousands of everyday Americans who have managed to accumulate seven-figure portfolios. And a lot of these people had relatively modest incomes. And most of them were mediocre investors, but almost all of them shared one attribute in common. They were great savers. They lived beneath their means, and they socked away significant money year after year. Layered on top of that, you know, they were very careful in what they did with those savings. They diversified broadly. They weren't out there buying Bitcoin. They weren't out there betting everything on one stock or trading options or doing crazy stuff like that. Taking a humble approach to your finances is indeed the key to investment success. If you spend thoughtfully, if you save diligently, if you diversify broadly, if you hold down your investment costs, if you buy the right insurance, you do all these simple things, it is amazing, just amazing how much wealth you can amass and how much happier your financial life can be. That is just terrific, Jonathan Clements, which is why we love having you on Wealth Track. And, and as I told our um, audience that I'd really highly recommend uh, going to HumbleDollar.com. And uh, you, you've got a newsletter that comes out on the website every month. You blog regularly. You update your money guide. So it, it's really a terrific resource for all of us. And I so appreciate your being on WealthTrack and joining us. It's always a pleasure, Consuelo. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you.